Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us. Breaking news and not good news from the city of Milwaukee. The Couture, that's the apartment high-rise that's been in the planning, dreaming, fill-in-the-blank stages for, gosh, six or seven years now. Today, they just missed another deadline to qualify for guaranteed funding, putting, candidly, I think some huge question marks on the entire project. And this, by the way, ties into the streetcar line, all these different things. The Couture, if you can picture this, if you've been down to the Summerfest grounds or the lakefront, the Couture is on the corner of essentially Lincoln Memorial Drive and Michigan. It would be on the southwest corner, right across the street from O'Donnell Park. When I first started working for the U.S. Attorney's Office back in the early 1980s, it was a vacant parking lot. And I admit, I thought it was the height of insanity to have prime near lakefront real estate used as a parking lot. I thought that was crazy. The only thing that was crazier than using prime lakefront real estate, near lakefront real estate as a parking lot was what they ended up doing with it. They built a bus terminal on it. Yes, they built a bus terminal on this lakefront prop, this near lakefront property with great views of the lakes and things like that. But that's how we do things in Milwaukee. We built the bus terminal. Well, okay, ultimately we decided that's not the best way to go. So what happened is you had this developer that came along and said, look, this is what I want to do. I want to build a giant apartment building, high-rise, high-end, multi-use building, but but primarily it's going to be apartments and things like that. 44 stories, 322 luxury apartments. We'd have stores. We'd have restaurant spaces, all those great things. Going to spend, I think what the estimates are, $122 million for this. To make this happen, and here's where it gets a little bit tricky, to make this happen, Milwaukee County had to sell the developer the land where the bus terminal sat, and they had to sell it to him, at the company, at below market value. Because if they charged him what the land was probably really worth, they they wouldn't be able to afford the project. So I don't know if it's a sweetheart deal. They want to get it built. So they cut this deal. The problem with Milwaukee County has is Milwaukee County, follow me on this, they used federal money to build the bus depot. So if they're going to get rid of the property and turn down and tear down the bus depot, they have to pay the federal government millions and millions of dollars back that the federal government gave them to build the bus terminal in the first place. Follow this? So what Milwaukee County did is they came up with this idea, well, here, here's what we'll do. We'll take Tom's trolley, the, the trolley, and we'll run it down and we'll use the couture as a turnaround place for the streetcar. And that way, we'll, since it's still being used for transit, 
we will be able to sell the property to the couture developer way below market value, essentially pretty much giving it away, and we'll be able to avoid having to pay the federal government back millions and millions of dollars that they fronted us to build the bus depot. Wink, wink, nod, nod. That's how the plan was going to go. All right, well, now here, here, here's the problem. And what happened today, the, the developer hasn't been able to put together the money to put the project together. And what they had done is they had applied for a grant through HUD, essentially a, a, a loan guarantee, which would make it much easier to go out and secure private investors because you'd say, hey, you know, we're backed, you know, we need you to invest in this project. We're backed by the federal government. You know, we've got this loan guarantee. This project is going to happen. Well, for whatever reasons, uh, today, they made they missed their final deadline for applying for the HUD guarantee, and so I don't know if it's fair to say they're back to square one. But this is a pretty significant step. Plus, the clock is running because again, the, the Couture doesn't appear to be any closer to you know actually getting built, and if it's not built. Well, you know, then this whole idea of the streetcar turnaround doesn't work. And in order to avoid the county having to pay the federal government back millions of dollars, the streetcar has to be in this turnaround within like the next year or something like that, sometime in 2020. So it's a mess. The Couture project appears stalled. I'm not saying dead, but stalled. Nobody knows what the financial situation is with the developer unless they get major projects, um, you know, major progress going on this. You know, the county might be on the hook to have to pay back millions of dollars for the bus depot unless they can get the trolley turnaround. Bottom line is it is a I don't know if it's fair to say that it's a total hot mess. But it will probably do until a total hot mess comes around. Now, candidly, I, I, I hope they get it done. I think that this is an ideal spot. It's a great location. My guess is that you'd have a lot of people that would want to move into it. But for whatever reasons, they're having trouble getting enough investors to make the thing happen right now. So, I don't know, Gru, you're sitting on... Uh, you know, I, I know, I know you rattled a little bit because you had to get that part for your car. But if, if you're sitting on about fifty million bucks, my guess is if you're looking for an investment, I I can hook you up. I can give you the number to call. You're just smiling at me, yeah, just just saying. So that's the breaking news. A big, a setback for the Couture. I don't know how big a setback it is, but now the clock is ticking. And again, um, see, my concern all along has been the taxpayers on the on the hook for things in connection with this and the streetcar and all that. And I actually thought when they when they made this whole deal, they were being a little bit too clever by half in, okay, you know, we'll tear down the bus depot, we'll give them a sweetheart deal in the land sale, and then we'll avoid having to pay the money back because we'll run the streetcar down there. I thought that was a little bit too clever by half. It, it counted on everything having to go right, and so far – Everything is not going right. All right, when we come back, the banned Confederate Railroad runs square into the face of political correctness. We're going to discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Mom and Dad had a plan 
That is one of the big hits by a band called Confederate Railroad. Now, let me just confess at the beginning, I'm a Southern rock guy. I, I love Leonard Skinner. I love the Allman Brothers band. You know, I, I just, I you know, I Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and some of their stuff coming out of Jacksonville, Florida. I, I'm into Southern rock. Always have been. Confederate Railroad is kind of one of the B-list country, you know, southern rock kind of bands. You know, they started in 1992, bunch of guys out in Georgia. They are still together. Trashy Women was probably their probably their biggest hit. They've got a couple others that we'll play over the course of the next few minutes. But that's Confederate Railroad. Confederate Railroad has run full on, full tilt boogie into political correctness. I think the response they are getting is nothing but a form of fascism. Here's the story. Okay, Confederate Railroad, like I say, it's a southern rock band, right? They have the, the symbol of the band. You know, band have, bands have symbols like the Rolling Stones have the big lips and things like that. The, the symbol of the band, the thing that's like in the backdrop when they come out to play, the thing that's on the T-shirts that they sell, it's a circle. It says Confederate Railroad, and it's got a picture of a steam locomotive coming through and, all right, I hope you're sitting down for this. I do not want to shock you. But as part of the logo, there's two small Confederate flags. Why? Because the band's called Confederate Railroad. All right? That's it. These are southern boys. And so, you know, there there are ties to the south. And, yes, on their logo, they're there are Confederate flags. And, yes, in some of the songs they do, they celebrate the south. All right? But it's an act. It's a band, all right? I bring this up because Confederate Railroad has just been centrally fired. They were booked to play the Illinois State Fair um, in a week or so. They have now, they were booked as part of a package with a couple other bands that were going to play. Again, it was going to be one of these sort of like, you know, Southern rock type of things. They have been dumped by the Illinois State Fair. They have now also been dumped by um, the Ulster, New York. Ulster, New York, it's the Ulster County Fair. That's in the Hudson Valley in New York. They were scheduled to play there on August 1st. They have been dumped there as well because, well, here's what the Ulster County Fair people say. The Ulster County Fair must be an event that everyone can enjoy while representing the values values of all members of our community. Any showcasing of a symbol of division and racism runs counter to that principle and will be vigorously opposed, uh, etc. So because, 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 they have the Confederate flag as part of their logo, they are not going to be allowed to play at these events all right uh the band's name was inspired by a steam locomotive called the general which was commandeered in georgia by a union raiding party during the civil war the locomotive is actually on display in kennesaw georgia all right um the spokesperson for the band says look it seems like everybody kind of gets looking for something to get upset about and i guess our band is just the flavor of the month the governor of Illinois says the same thing. The show would promote symbols of racism to commit the use of the Confederate civil flag on the band's logo. 
I can't believe that we hired them in the first place. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, to me, is the fascism of the left. You know, this exercise of dictatorial control, the idea that the politically correct and the perpetually offended are going to now start, I don't know, looking into entertainment things and saying, well, we think this is inappropriate. We don't like their logo, so we're not going to let the band play. Now, in many cases, these are the same people that would allow some rapper to come on and use the F word and promote, um, you know, misogyny and violence and all those types of things. But, but again, when it's Confederate Railroad, oh, we can't have that. It's a Southern rock band. Are the snowflakes in Illinois and in New York, really so sensitive that, well, my gosh, this is just going to be so offensive. It's so terrible if the band would play here. Maybe the better response would be, if you don't like it, don't buy a ticket to see them. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's tee this up. All right. The Confederate Railroad, the band, they've been performing all over since 1992. They are now being banned from locations. Not, they're not able to play state, a state fair in Illinois, the state fair in Illinois or a county fair in New York because they are too controversial because somebody might be offended by the fact that there's a Confederate flag on the locomotive. 414-799-1620. My attitude is give me strength. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, that's Memphis Queen, one of the other hits of Confederate Railroad. Oh my gosh, you have the politically correct and the perpetually offended. They are out to get, they're out to get Confederate Railroad. You have the state of Illinois, which has backed off. They said, well, we can't have them play at the state fair because, you know, on their logo, they've got a Confederate flag as part of, of their logo. Oh, my gosh, we can't handle that. Oh, that's so terrible. The Ulster County Fair in upstate New York, they're saying the same thing. I mean, this, this is it is pure fascism. What you have here is you have this dictatorial control by a small group of people who've decided we're going to set the standards. 414-799-1620. Look, the, the bottom line of all this is, you know, whatever happened to the idea that, okay, we, we can have ideas that challenge us and we can disagree. If you don't want to go see Confederate Railroad or you don't want to go see Ted Nugent, don't do it. I, I get it. But these same places that will book rap artists where every third word is the F word and, you know, you're, you're talking about all the different misogynistic stuff and mistreatment of women and violence, that's okay. But the band's logo includes the Confederate flag, so the snowflakes are so sensitive that we can't deal with this. Uh, Jeff, put a Band-Aid over the Confederate flag or cover it some other way and let the show go on. Um, da, 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 da. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
you know, um, you know, you make a living around being perpetually offended by the left. Well, yes, yes, that's exactly right. Because, again, this is the intolerance of some of the preachy left who know better. You know, oh gosh, if you like one of these southern rock bands, there must be some problem because, you know, they, they actually, they play Sweet Home Alabama, for goodness sakes. How how can we listen to that? Oh, our sensibilities are going to be just devastated by this. Jeff, it's going to get worse. Same concern at, Christian, at Christmas with Christian celebrations and symbols. Welcome to our political correctness, you know, bah humbug. Yeah, that's, that is what the problem is <clears throat> that's going on that you have these folks who just can't stand oh my gosh I this, this confederate flag and by the way we're not talking about flying the confederate flag over the state house of south carolina all right we're talking about a band that incorporates the confederate flag into their logo don't they have the freedom of speech to do that and, and again like i say if you want to be offended no, that's fine. You can go ahead and you you can be offended. Go with God. That That's all right. Go back and just be all upset about it. But this idea that, all right, we're so offended by this that we cannot allow this band. It's been in existence since 1992 to perform. That's where I think the problem lies. And, you know, it this idea that we're going to now be the arbitrators of what is acceptable and, and what is not. Well, those are, that's a dangerous road to go down. And I find it so interesting that for years and years and years, you know, it, it was the left in this country that was arguing, hey, you know, we have to be tolerant. You know, let's look, let, let's allow artists to perform, pursue their art. And some people might be offended by all this and that's okay, but it's artists doing that. Well, now when the shoe is on the other foot, oh, we can't have this. Jeff, if I have to tolerate loud hip hop, they can tolerate my country rock in all its glory, to which I say amen. So Confederate Railroad, too controversial now to be booked at the Illinois State Fair and to be booked at the Ulster County Fair in Hudson. My guess is the publicity they're getting, hopefully a lot of private venues will be willing to step up, say no to all the politically correct and perpetually offended snowflakes out there, and book the band. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We have a winner for our first pair of tickets to the State Fair. Sometime between now and 3 o'clock, we'll be giving away another pair of tickets as well. Speaking of the State Fair, Cream Puffa Palooza, yes, it is back. Come help us fill the parking lots of State Fair. Your chance to win a three-pack of famous State Fair Cream Puffs. Um, I am going to be there. It starts Wednesday at July 31st at 6.20. I will, I will be there, and I will hand you, if you are one of the first 620 vehicles in line, I will hand you a three, a free three-pack of State Fair cream puffs. I think you might also get a milk along with that as well. For official rules of the promotion, visit WTMJ.com. It's always one of the fun things. I, I love doing this. So this year, 620 vehicles. People, honest to goodness, start lining up at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. First 620 vehicles each get a three, a free three-pack of cream puffs. Um, and you get to say hi to me, and I get to say hi to you. That's a great time. So that's next Wednesday. Cream Puff of Palooza State Fair starts on Thursday. Still getting a lot of feedback on the Confederate Railroad story, including lots of people texting in saying, oh, Jeff, I, I'm offended by the Confederate flag. This th- this is just a government venue. You can't be endorsing this by by allowing this band to play. Really? 
I mean, is, is that what America has come to in 2019, that because some people just get so worked up and so offended by everything that we're going to say to a band, it's been around since 1992, because you've got a flag on your logo, you cannot perform? Huh. Again, I, I use the word fascism because I think that's exactly that's exactly what happened, and it's the same sort of rationale which was used in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, again, to deny we don't want those hippie bands playing here, and we don't want that music that talks about, you know, that rock and roll stuff that, that talks about drugs and things like that. And, and that was the justification that was used. And people on the left and in the industry just were outraged about that. You know, what about the First Amendment? Things like this. And now you're seeing the flip side of it. Again, to me, it's the tyranny of the minority and the politically correct and the perpetually offended lashing out. All right. Interesting story. Oh, I, and I, I, I've talked about this before. I am one of those dinosaurs that still carries cash from time matter of fact i always have cash on me not sometimes not necessarily a lot but i i have i have cash because i i use cash to pay for i don't know kind of small purchases if i run into a store to buy a cup of coffee and it's two bucks or whatever i'm not putting that on my credit card i i, I understand that, that people do that. I, I just don't. Do I use credit cards? Of course. I use credit cards all the time. When I go to gas stations, I pay at the pump. So, I mean, I've got credit cards. I use credit cards. I'm not anti-credit card. It's just for small purchases, I, I tend not to do that. I actually believe the cash transactions are quicker, although some people you know, might end up disagreeing with me. More and more, though, we are starting to go, and I appreciate this, to kind of a cashless society. There are some stores in some parts of the the country some cities that have gone cashless they simply say or you got to have a credit card and then they get accused of well you're trying to discriminate against people because you know some people can't get credit cards etc so that's the ongoing debate um for example if you go to fiserv forum there are some food stations and some vendors that are set up and you got to have a credit card They, they do not take cash well, here's a, an email I got yesterday from somebody. Uh, he's asked me not, he, she has asked me not to identify them. They, they work at Miller Park, and they work, they, they sell beer, right? And they sell beer. Um, here, here's what they write me. Jeff, I thought you might be interested in this. Almost every night, cash sales are around half of our total sales at the beer thing that, that he works at. All right, so it says cash is a big deal, and that's true. I'm one of these guys that when I go to Miller Park and I'm going to buy a beer or a hot dog, I, I pay for it with cash. You can pay for it with credit cards, but I don't do it. And this guy says, all right, about half of our sales are cash sales. He's forwarded me a memo that was sent out from concessions management team. Here's what it says. Team, as of Friday, July 26th, which would be tonight, right, we will be testing out a cashless system at a few locations in hopes of transitioning into a more cashless stadium in the future. This means that a few locations will either have limited registers accepting cash or credit slash debit card only. This will only affect four locations to start. Signage will be posted at the designated locations to assist guests in line. Our goal is to enhance the guest experience and to increase transaction times. 
I think they mean decreased transaction times. Stadiums and arenas around the country are moving towards cashless, including Pfizer Forum. Please let the concessions team know if you have any questions. And this guy forwards it to me saying he's obviously not thrilled with it because half his sales are, are cash. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I am interested in your reaction to this. Would you like to see a venue like Miller Park move to being essentially cashless or limited cash opportunities? They're trying it out tonight. Apparently, there's going to be four stations that are going to be pretty much cash only. But clearly, this is the direction that they want to move. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would that enhance your experience to you know, go to a place knowing, hey, it's got to be a credit card. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. From my perspective, could I deal with it? Yeah, I could deal with it because, I, I mean, I carry credit cards, and I guess you could get used to it. At the same time, and again, maybe this is just me being hopelessly old school, I like to use cash. I mean, I, I, I like to use cash, and I would, I would prefer that my opportunities to use cash to pay for things like beers and hot dogs or whatever this might be, you know, not be substantially limited. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I would also add that, especially in a venue like Miller Park, I am not convinced at all that using the credit card makes it quicker to conduct the uh, to conduct the transaction. Okay, the beer's eight, the beer's nine bucks. You give them a ten, they give them a, you a dollar back. You oftentimes say keep the change. Fine, you move on. You pull out the credit card. You give them the credit card. They have to scan it or stick it in the chip reader. You have to wait till the thing prints out. Then you have to write something on it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Apparently, this is being rolled out on a trial basis, and they do do it on a limited basis at Pfizer Forum. You get the idea that they want this to be the wave of the future. Candidly, I I hope not. Becky in Madison. Becky, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, no, Becky. it would not enhance enhance my my experience at all. I'm a firm believer in paying cash. I just feel it helps me track and budget better because you're actually seeing what you're spending money for. Um, my husband's just the opposite. He does everything with his credit or debit card. And we were recently at Alpine Valley. He wanted to buy a Jimmy Buffett T-shirt, and he couldn't because it was cash only. So. Wifey had to bail him out on that one. <laughs> so the Buffett shirt was cash only, so they were going the other way. All they wanted was cash. They didn't oh, no, want to no, deal they, with it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yep, they were cash only. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, see, and I mean, I guess I just think that there's a place for both of it, and I uh, both of it, and I, I just, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I don't really know what my rationale is other than I just, it, it seems to be a lot of trouble. If, if I'm going to have a beer, I don't want to be getting the bill for that beer at the end of the month. <laughs> I guess, you know, it's just here. Let me let me buy the beer and then just be done with it. I've paid for it. I don't have to worry about it. And that's it. That's that's the other thing, too. I don't like opening up the credit card bill and saying, okay, I spent 20 bucks here and 8 bucks there. And I don't like charging things for 
five ninety nine. Yeah, I'd rather just pay cash and be done with it. Well, right, and you know it's interesting to me because now I don't know the deal at Miller Park, but you know you talk to a lot of merchants. You know, they they pay a fee every time you know somebody uses like the credit card or something. And I got to imagine if I was a small business person and I'm selling somebody a bagel for two dollars and thirty cents or whatever, a bagel and a cup of coffee, and and I have to pay whatever that percentage is. That's cutting into my profit margin. I'd be saying, can't you just give me the cash and let me let me make change and let me keep all the money? Exactly, because it is. It's, somebody's going to end up paying for it, right, one way or the other. No, thanks for the call. And again, I, I I understand this is the way of the world, and I talk to lots of people, including lots of people around here, and they look at me blankly. I mean, you really carry cash, my my wife. My beautiful, lovely wife, you know, she she rarely carries cash. I'm always saying, here, honey, take $20 just so in case something happens. Well, I've got credit cards and all. Okay, just, just do me a favor. I will feel better. Take 20 bucks, and, you know, that that's fine. That That's that's on me. I just want you to have some money. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Keith in Two Rivers. Hi, Keith. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm exact same way as you and your wife. I, I carry cash. My wife's throwing everything on the debit card. Cash will always have a niche in society, whether it be concessions or, like I was telling your screener, we went up to Lakewood where our camper was this weekend, and they had no power, obviously, because of tornadoes that, that went through. And if, if you didn't have cash, you yeah. couldn't get anything. You couldn't get gas. You couldn't get oil for the chainsaws. Everything was cash because they didn't have any power, you know, and, and, and no, no Internet connection to, to scan a debit card or a credit card with. Well, you so know, it'll always have a niche in well, yeah, and, and let, let's think about at a place like like Miller Park, just to take for an example. What about okay? What about the kids? Now, I, I go to a lot of Brewers games, and a lot of families go there, and they've got the kids. And I see this happen all the time. You've got two of the I don't know the teenage kids, and mom and dad are in the stands, and the kids want to go get something to eat. So I, I see dad pulls out a twenty or whatever, gives it to the kids, and they all go running off, and they come back with popcorn yep. or cotton candy or whatever. How, how are we going to deal with with that now? You're not going to give your twelve year old kid your credit card. I mean, no. <laughs> no, I, I, I wouldn't give him my debit. Like I'm, I'm exactly the same way. If my son would go to a baseball game or a football game, I give him cash and like here's forty or fifty bucks. Yeah, go- you know, I mean, here, here's some money. I'm not going to give him my debit card. There's, right. there's no way. Right. No. Th- I mean, I guess that, that's the rule. Like I say, if they want to. If you want to, I guess if you want to set up a couple stations that okay these these are cashless and you know it's credit card only, okay I guess I don't have a problem with that one way or the other. My question is, unless you're really planning on getting rid of cash and trying to turn it into a cashless operation, you know why why bother why bother doing that? Um, I just think. You know, cash continues to be an important part of our society. Now, look, I, I've said this before, too. I'm a free market guy. Do I think that does do the people that run the concessions at Miller Park, if they want to go cashless, do they have a right to do it? Yes. Do businesses, you know, decide that they want to go cashless? Yes. I, I think they I guess they would have the right. I would just argue that I, I just I don't think it's customer friendly. I think you want to be doing everything you can to make it as easy as people po- as is for people to patronize it, and that means giving them the options. And the guy who alerted me to this, like I say, he sells beer there, and he says, well, about half of it, you know, half of it's credit card, half of it's cash, and I'm wondering what's going to happen if, to, you know, to my sales, if I'm one of the places that's told I can only take credit cards, because there's going to be some people who aren't going to want to pay for that. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mike in Fond Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Like, I got to agree with you. I'm old school, coming from the 50s, 60s. And it's like, 
I don't like having a credit card or debit card or anything. I don't like computers. <laughs> so we deal with cash. You're, you're really mean, old school. Yeah, I don't like computers. They can hack the government and everything else. They sure as heck can crit, hack my credit card. Well, so I, I'm like, we pay cash for almost everything. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, well, see, thank, I mean, I mean, look, again, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I'm not anti-credit cards. I, I'm not. I use credit cards too. I'm just thinking, you know, especially at places where you're going to be making smaller purchases, the, the idea of forcing people to use credit cards, I think, is a bad idea. Um, you know, here, here's, and actually, here's a practical thing too. Somebody says, I'm guessing that vendors, particularly beer vendors, would lose a lot of tips with a no cash system. And you know what? I think there's probably something to that. I mean, it's kind of like, I, I look, I, I do this. It's the, the you know, you, you buy the beer. The beer is. Eight fifty or nine bucks or, or whatever it is. Got a ten dollar bill or a twenty dollar bill. Let's say it's a twenty dollar bill. I will frequently say, "Here, give me ten. You keep the leftover." Okay, that's just how you handle it. My guess is, if I had to go through the thing of signing it and figuring out if I'm going to leave a tip online, my guess is they get tipped less when it's coming to the credit card transactions. That's just my gut feeling. Bottom line is they're apparently going to be rolling this out on a limited experimental basis tonight. It get, I get the sense from this memo that they're planning on trying to go more and more cashless. I don't know. If you don't like it, I think what you need to do is let the concessions team know about it and see if they listen to the people. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. He is the crew's go-to pinch hitter. And now Brewers outfielder Ben Gamble wants to meet you. WTMJ's Matt Pauley invites you to join him, that would be Matt, at the Meyer in Oak Creek tomorrow. That's this Saturday from 11 to 1. Hang with Matt Pauley. Get an autograph from Ben Gamble starting at noon and even have a chance to win tickets to an upcoming Brewers game. How cool is that? That's this Saturday. That would be tomorrow from 11 to 1 at the Meyer in Oak Creek. We hope to see you there. This is, see, they have people. There, there are people who get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to figure out, you know, market research and, and what do people want and will these products be successful and won't these products be successful and, and what works. And, and you see some of this stuff and you say, I could do that. What, why? They don't, you don't need to pay an army of people $3 million to tell you this. Everybody would know this. And, and of course, this is one of those stories that demonstrates that. All right, McDonald's, successful fast food chain. All right, matter of fact, McDonald's, their numbers are, are up. Um, sales at the McDonald's U.S. restaurants um, open at least 13 months, rose 5.7% in the last quarter. They're, they're up. And that's kind of a turnaround because they had stuff that was flat. McDonald's is doing really, really well. But what are they doing well at and why are they being so successful? Well, over the last year or two, McDonald's has rolled out all sorts of new products. Remember that they had they had this big thing where they they took various items that were big sellers in some foreign countries at McDonald's, and they brought them here with a lot of fair fare. We sell this in we sell this in France, and we sell this in Canada. And they they rolled out this new product line. Uh, is that what's contributing to the growth of McDonald's? No. Matter of fact, that that was a a flop. Most of the new products that they've tried to roll out have actually been flops. 
at the end of the day, what's driving the McDonald's numbers is that people are going back to the classics. The big thing that they did is they switched from frozen to fresh beef in their regular quarter pounder, and that's increased sales of the quarter pounder by an average of 30%, which is this kind of like staggering number. But what they're finding is people don't want all the new stuff. People don't want all the fancy bells and whistles. If people go to a McDonald's, what they do is that they want the basics. They want a quarter pounder or a quarter pounder with cheese, or they want a Big Mac, and they want, or they want a couple burgers, or they want a fish sandwich, or they want some french fries. That's what they don't want. They don't want the fancy wraps. They don't want the salads. Who goes to McDonald's for a salad? They want the basic McDonald's stuff. And by concentrating on the basic McDonald's stuff and trying to make it a little bit better, in this case using fresh beef instead of frozen, what they're seeing is that their sales are going through the roof. So the message that they're coming out with is stop fooling around with all this new crap that people really don't want. Understand what you do well and then figure out ways to do it better. Now, I suspect that they had to pay all sorts of marketing people, all sorts of money to first of all come up with the idea of, yeah, I've got it. Let's, let's start selling this burger that we sell in France here in the U.S. Okay. I could have told them. I could have told them. I guess as you could have told them too. Yeah. That it might be great for France or the one in Canada might be great for Canada, but this is the United States and, and we don't want that stuff. And that's what it turned out to be. So the idea is if McDonald's wants to succeed and they are, concentrate on what they do well. I understand you have to be constantly trying to figure out ways to do stuff better, but at the same time, if, if you've got a niche and that niche has worked for you for decades, before you bail from that niche, you better be darn sure that what you're going to next is going to be better. And in the case of McDonald's, it wasn't. All right, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up on the program and another opportunity to win a pair of state fair tickets. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, I am not going to be one of these guys. There's all this hand-wringing that's going on nowadays, and today in particular, after the latest road rage shooting in the city of Milwaukee, and we'll talk about the details in just a minute, but but I'm not going to be one of these hand-wringers, oh, we just all need to get along and we all need to sing Kumbaya. The time has passed for that. What needs to happen, and this is, by the way, you know, contra-indicative of where some people are going nowadays, what needs to happen is we need to recognize that there are dangerous, violent people in this world and in this community, and we need to get them the hell off the streets. And simply saying we're going to give people second and third and fourth chances does not work. Let me back into this topic. You had the story from, what, a week ago Saturday where you had the guy with the lengthy criminal record, serious record, history of violence, um, restraining orders against him, just a general bad guy, not allowed to own firearms. He gets in, he gets cut off or whatever. It's a Saturday morning, pulls out his gun and starts shooting indiscriminately at the back of a car that irritated him, hits and kills a three-year-old girl. All right. Guy's now been charged. He's going to get convicted. He'll be in prison for the rest of his life, but that doesn't bring the three-year-old girl back. And it raises the question of why was this guy on the street in the first place? Well, we've had another situation like that. Now, thankfully, the outcome, by the grace of God, 
was not as as dramatic, but it certainly could have. It, the, this is on. This is caught on video, and if you haven't seen the video, you, you really need to. I, I just on my Twitter account, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I just sent out a link to actually the Fox six story. Now maybe other TV stations had the video as well. I don't know, but Fox six had it, and that's where I saw it. Um, th- there's a video of this this shooting that happened yesterday morning at ten forty five in the morning, not ten forty five at night. Not 2 a.m. at night. This is 1045 in the morning, just like the road rage shooting that murdered the little girl happened at 830 in the morning Saturday a week and a half ago. This is 1045 in the morning. And the whole incident is captured on video. I think this is one of those. Um, I get the sense it's like one of the it's it's a surveillance camera that's posted on the house on, on this house. I don't know if it's a ring doorbell thing or whatever, but it's a surveillance camera looking at the outside on the street. And again, if you want to see the video, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty. But you, you can see what happens. There's there's two vehicles. There's a, a green van and there's a silver sedan. And you can see the two of these. Um, they're apparently on Medford Avenue, and they turn onto 44th Street. Now, something has obviously, I, I think something must have happened beforehand. Um, I don't know who cut whoever off. But the the silver sedan, it turns the corner, and then the green van Okay, that turns the corner as well, and then they end up blocking the street. They're parked side by side. Right? Follow me on this. There, you can then see a guy get out of the driver's side of the green van, and he walks over to the silver sedan that's now parked next to him in the middle of the street, and apparently starts screaming. You know, you, you can't hear it, but you can see that that's what's going on. The silver sedan then drives off. So this isn't a deal where somebody's gotten out of the car or anything like that. The silver sedan is driving off. And then you can see on the video the 35-year-old guy who's apparently carrying a gun. He starts walking down the street. This is 10, did I mention it's 1045 in the morning in a residential neighborhood. He's walking down the street firing rounds at the car as it drives off. Just the same scenario that resulted in that three-year-old girl getting killed uh, two weeks ago, Saturday. Well, in this particular case, there's apparently a five-year-old in the car who gets who gets hit by you know one of the bullets. Thankfully, it just grazes him. So, I mean, we're we're not dealing with the morgue, we're not dealing with a homicide, but we're dealing with some out-of-control maniac who decides to just start shooting at a car on the streets of Milwaukee. Now, he has been arrested. They have not released his name. They have not released his background yet. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I've done this before, and I'm almost always right. I guess there might be the occasion when I'm not, but I don't think that's going to be the case. It might be that today or yesterday was just the first day in this guy's life, the shooter, that he woke up and said, you know, I'm going to carry a gun with me when when somebody cuts me off or gets me mad, I'm going to start shooting indiscriminately at it. Maybe yesterday was the first day of the rest of his life that he decided to do that. Maybe. My guess is that it's not the case. My guess is that the guy who thought it was okay to walk down 44th Street at 1045 in the morning firing off a pistol in the direction of a car that was driving away, my guess is He's got a lengthy criminal record. 
My guess is he's probably done time. My guess is he's a felon who's not allowed to carry a firearm. Don't know any of that. You know, we'll find out when the charges come out. But my guess is that that's the case. And just like the guy who murdered the little girl two weeks ago, this guy, if if in fact my instincts are right and there is a criminal record that's there, you know, this is a guy who should not have been out on the street in the first place. And this is where I think it's important to get past the hand wringing here. You know, we, we can talk about, you know, people with the impulse control of fruit flies and we can talk about people who have no regard for life and all that. But but here's here's what we need to realize. There are dangerous people among us. And, and yes, somebody who thinks nothing about pulling out a gun and shooting at a car that's driving away at 1045 on a residential street in Milwaukee, yes, they are an inherently dangerous person. And my guess is, like I say, this wasn't the guy's first time at the rodeo. My frustration is we bend over backwards to try to avoid hope, holding people accountable, you know, when they act out. And when are we going to realize that that's just not working? When are we going to realize, look, and I'm all in favor of trying, you know, alternatives to stuff. And I get that it's expensive to put people in prison and things like that. But my belief is if you commit crimes with guns, you need to go to prison and you need to go to prison for a long time. If you carry guns after you know, you're a, you've been convicted and you're not allowed to do it. Federal system, they've got mandatory five years in prison simply for carrying the gun as a part of a crime or as a gun, carrying a gun as a convicted felon. Why are we so reluctant in this state and in particular in southeast Wisconsin? Why are we so reluctant to hold people accountable and send dangerous people to jail? And by the way, I don't care whether that person is white or green or black or blue or brown or purple. I mean, if you commit a crime of violence or you're walking around carrying a gun, you, you're carrying the gun because you're prepared to commit a crime of violence in most sort of situations. Don't we need to start protecting the rest of society? And isn't it time to start saying, you carry a gun, you go to jail, period. You get caught with a gun after you've been in jail, you're going back to jail for a lengthy period of time. You know, why are we going the other direction and worrying about, well, we need to find alternatives to incarceration? Nuts to that. The guy who murdered that three-year-old girl shouldn't have been out on the street. And my guess is this guy who shot at the car, my guess is he probably shouldn't have been out on the street. Now, like I say, maybe he's got a completely clean record, but... I doubt it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm tired of the conversation. I'm tired of the hand-wringing. I'm, I, look, and I, I understand people are well-intentioned. I understand people are frustrated. If I lived in some of these neighborhoods where this stuff was going on, I would be frustrated as well. But the first-line answer is taking the criminal element and putting them away for a long period of time so they're not in a position to pull out their gun and shoot at a car containing a three-year-old girl or a five-year-old boy. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Feel free to weigh in. We'll be back with your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. If I said it was a five-year-old 
boy that got shot and that got grazed in the leg. I was wrong. It was a five-year-old girl. A three-year-old girl, of course, murdered two weeks ago Saturday. Here's a text. Jeff, I work with a relative of the little girl that got shot yesterday. The guy in the green van was screaming at the driver of the sedan because he said the driver of the sedan wasn't going fast enough. The driver said he was going 40 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. Okay, so that that's if that's true, that's what set this off. You're only going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. I am so outraged that I'm going to pull out my piece, and I'm going to shoot at you as you drive off. Huh, 1045 on a Thursday morning in a residential neighborhood. Cal in West Dallas. Cal, you're on WTMJ. Yes, yeah, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm in my late 60s. I've been in Milwaukee County most of my life, and I'll tell you, it's a terrible place to live right now. And uh, I just got one question. I remember years ago, they used to have billboards throughout the city that said, use a gun, go to prison. Whatever happened to those? Because they don't send you to prison now if you use a gun, necessarily. You might go, but not necessarily. I understand. I don't get the system anymore. The system needs to be changed. I I, I don't. No, thanks for calling. And I don't understand all this stuff with second and third and and fourth chances. I mean, see, that's that that is part of the frustration too. If you talk to if you talk to cops, what they will tell you is that the vast majority of criminal activity is committed by a relatively small percentage of criminals. But it's the same people who are doing the stuff over and over again. And normally they've got juvenile records and it's progressively more serious and we don't do anything to them. That's the frustrating thing for me. If I, I firmly believed if if you have people, maybe this is like the broken windows theory of criminal justice, but if you have people that commit crimes and you start you know, being serious with them up front, now again, there's going to be some that are just hardcore repeat offenders and you're just going to have to warehouse them. But maybe if you give people a taste of jail or prison and they don't like it, maybe they'll turn themselves around. Unfortunately, in Milwaukee today, the pressure and the attitude, I mean, this starts with the district attorney too, well, we need to find alternatives to incarceration. Nuts to that. I'm sorry, if you're shooting at cars, you know, and you've got a criminal record, you should, shouldn't be on the streets, period. And if you've got a lengthy criminal record, all right, you shouldn't be on the street in the first place carrying a gun in a position to shoot at a car. Let's talk to um, Tony on the northwest side. Hi, Tony. Hi, Jeff. Jeff, you know what? They should adopt that three strikes and you're out. Out for good, you're done, you're off the streets, we never want to see you again. But, you know, and if they did something like that, the politicians will go to the jails, they'll visit. You know what they'll say? Hey, they're not, we're not getting our desserts. And, and then, and then uh, they want it easier for them in jail. Yeah, and, and, keep, right, and keep in mind, we have a new governor. Thanks to call. We have a new governor who, as part of his platform, wants to reduce the prison population by 50% during his four-year term. 50% by his four-year term. He wants to let people loose. The problem is we're not putting enough people in prison in the first place. And you perpetuate this myth, well, the jails are full with people for possession of marijuana. That's not true. That's just a flat-out lie. Most of the people that are in prison, I would say almost all of the people in prison, you'd be really glad they are in prison because they've either committed dangerous offenses or they've committed one offense after another and nothing else has worked. And this idea that, okay, we want to be touchy-feely and we won't let people out because it costs a lot of money to incarcerate people or we're incarcerating too many types of this type of person or that type of person, nuts to all that. You know, what about public safety? 
Where does that play into things? And again, I'll, I will be curious. I said the same thing about the guy who murdered that three-year-old girl two weeks ago. Didn't know the criminal record. Well, the criminal record comes out, and it turns out that, again, Long stays in prison for armed robbery, and he's a felon. He's not supposed to have a gun and you know restraining orders against him for threats of violence and all that type of stuff. Well, you know, we'll see about the 35-year-old guy. But, you know, if, if you're going to walk down 44th Street at 1045 on a Thursday morning shooting indiscriminately at a car, my guess is you've had contacts with the criminal justice system again and again. I'm just saying let's take these people and let's put them in prison and let's protect the rest of us before they get a chance to do stuff like this. How many people need to get shot? How many children need to get killed? How many people need to be terrorized before we wake up and say what we're doing right now isn't working and the direction we're moving in isn't working? This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. It is my great pleasure to be joined now by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, how are you doing? I am well. Hey, look, um, after after the Mueller testimony earlier this week, I think a lot of people thought, okay, the whole issue of impeachment off the table. I'm reading now a lot of stuff. House Democrats say that they're going to take their vacation. They're going to go back. They're going to come back with a unified theory, and, and maybe impeachment will be considered. What do you think? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, from my standpoint, the uh, Mueller testimony, I wasn't able to watch all, but I, I watched segments, but it raised more questions than it ever answered. When it came to you know the whole collusion question, it just repeated what was in the Mueller report. You know, no, no collusion, no conspiracy. But it really did ask me, you know, make me wonder who was in charge of that investigation. And, of course, the Mueller report was silent in terms of what led to the investigation, what was happening in the FBI within the intelligence community. One of the texts that we highlighted in our oversight letters uh, still to me points to the the moment uh, when you had Peter Strzok texting Lisa Page and saying, uh, you know, our sisters are beginning to leak like mad, scorned, worried, and political. They're kicking into to overdrive. And that was right about the same time period where the first news stories began to appear about possible Russian collusion with the Trump campaign. So I've got a lot of questions about how this FBI investigation into Trump began, the, the spying on the Trump campaign. And now, what was the special counsel's office doing? Who was really in charge? And why didn't they why didn't they look into the FBI potential abuse? Why were they completely silent on that? Senator, I know when, when you went to Washington a number of years ago, you went with the idea that, that you had an agenda, you wanted to get stuff done. And I, I look at all the stuff going on in the country now, immigration, we're going to talk about that in a minute, and health care and Social Security and budgets and all those things. How frustrating is it to you that we're, we're spending all this time on on the question of impeachment and things like that when when there's an election coming up in November of next year? Well, it's enormously frustrating. Is generally how I answer these questions when they, they ask me about Trump or they ask me about uh, you know the Mueller report. Uh, you know the the issue has been answered. Let's move on and start addressing these enormous challenges. Immigration is just one of them. How, how about Russia? How about China? How about Iran? How about North Korea? Um, how about Let's continue to concentrate on growing our economy by 
by reducing the regulatory burden and taking a look at our tax system. And I certainly would like to conclude these trade deals so we can bring some certainty and stability to the to our our marketplace as well. Mm-hmm. Senator, let, let me let's let's talk a little bit about immigration. I. I I, a lot of these headlines are, are elected officials going down to the border and coming back saying they're, they're appalled because, you know, people are being held in cages and kids and all, all these different issues. Now, of course, it, it does appear that you, you have the, the border facilities being overwhelmed by thousands and thousands of people pouring in every day. What, what is the answer here? Well, first of all, I understand those detention facilities are basically police stations meant to house a few uh, people that the Border Patrol in their law enforcement uh, capacity will arrest and, and temporarily hold till they pass them on to other, other uh, law enforcement agencies. It never intended to handle a flood. In May, it was 4,600 immigrants per day crossing illegally. 4,600. It's come down a little bit since then. In June, it's about 3,500. The, the Border Patrol was never set up to be social services, they're, they're law enforcement. So the solution is reducing that flow of people exploiting our laws, coming to this country illegally. We do that first and foremost is we have to remove those individuals that clearly don't have a valid asylum claim. Right now the hurdle, the initial hurdle is set so low, we just basically pass. Everybody in the, the United States, our immigration court systems are so overwhelmed, nobody's having their, their virtually no one's having their, their cases heard. So Basically, it's a system that's working. It's totally broken, but it's working for the human traffickers and for those illegal immigrants. And so we got to fix our system, but we first have to start removing people as a consequence, as a deterrent, to reduce that, that the flow of illegal immigrants. You know, Senator, it's, it's interesting. You, you said 4,600 a, a day, down slightly. I, I was looking, when, when the law on asylum was passed, back whenever, the, the, they, the estimates were about 20,000 people per year would come in. Now you're saying 45, 4,600 a day. I mean, it's it just the law, when it was passed, just clearly wasn't intended or it didn't envision dealing with what we're dealing with now. No, the asylum laws are not meant for mass migration. They're kind of the, the onesies and twosies of people, you know, really fleeing persecution, whether it's Cuba or the old Soviet Union or China, uh, you know, back in communist times. It was never intended for these mass migrations. So we need to update those laws. And, you know, fortunately, last week I did get three de- Senate Democrats joining me in a letter of support for a pilot program we've been working with DHS to design called Operation Safe Return. And the goal is really to rapidly and more accurately determine who clearly doesn't have a valid asylum claim while we still have them in custody for those 20 days and safely return them to the safe regions of Central America. And there are safe regions of Central America. So it's a small little first step, but hopefully we can build on that and, and start solving this problem on a bipartisan basis. Senator, um, earlier this week, there, the House passed a, a bill regarding, you know, the debt ceiling, raising that, a temporary budget solution that would push the problem down the road two years. Where are you on that? Well, first of all, it's my greatest disappointment uh, since I joined the Senate in 2011 that, that virtually no one has consistently been concerned about these growing deficits and our growing debt. And so I was very upfront with uh, Leader McConnell a number of weeks ago that if I was going to vote for an increase in debt ceiling for the first time since I entered the Senate, I need some kind of structural reform. And what I did is I passed out of my committee a structural reform. It's called Prevent Government Shutdown Act. So 
you would prevent the chaos of a government shutdown by simply, if we haven't passed an appropriation bill for either a department or for the whole government, you don't shut those departments or the government down. You just appropriate the money at last year's level. Complete common sense approach. They wouldn't even include that. So, again, I, I told the speaker what he would need for my vote. I didn't get that, so I'm voting no. Do you think it's going to pass the Senate? Sounds like they got the votes. You know, it's, it's one thing we can really do on a bipartisan basis is spend money. <laughs> and so this really is depressing. This, the Budget Control Act, which I did vote against because I knew sequestration would be awful for our military, and it was, but at least it's established spending caps. We, we reduced discretionary spending for a couple of years because of those spending caps. That was a structural reform, but we've weaseled out of it after the first few years, and this is the final coffin of the Budget Control Act limits. So uh, it's pretty depressing. Senator, one of the things that, that did come out of the Mueller report that I think we all agree on is that the, the, the Russian government, the Russians were actively trying to meddle in, in the 2016 election. And, and to me, this is kind of a bipartisan issue. How concerned are you about that happening in the future? And what, what, what needs to be done? What steps do you think we should be taking to try to prevent that? Well, first of all, Russia has always been troubled trying to meddle in our politics. Uh, they've been meddling. They tried to overthrow the Montenegro government, basically, a coup. So I wasn't surprised at all when the administration came to us in September 2016 and said that there was evidence. The good news, Jeff, is we've made a fair amount of progress. Just the exposure itself is our first line of defense. It's almost impossible, and that's what the Senate Intel Committee report says. It's almost impossible to change both totals. So that we're pretty well protected against. The, the attack really was uh, the surveillance of the data files, the voter files. They didn't change them at all. And so we really did uh, enact uh, controls and defenses against that for 2018. We'd have a problem. But the more persistent threat is really these social media. And Americans just need to be aware of the fact that you know, be, be careful what you believe when you go on Google and Facebook and and the information news you get off the Internet. You have to be a discerning consumer of that. So it's, it's going to be a persistent threat, but the fact that we know they're trying to do it is our first line of defense. Senator Johnson, I know you got a very busy schedule. Thanks for spending some time with me this afternoon. hope we can chat soon. Have a great day. Okay, take care. That is, of course, the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. I, he's, going to be, he's going to be voting no on the, the, the deficit bill. Um, this is... Again, what's happening, we talked about this the other day, you have elected officials, you've got an election coming up in 2020, they, they want to kick the problem down the road, just like nobody's willing to take on issues with Social Security and all, so it's okay, let's let's raise the debt ceiling, let's let us keep borrowing more, um, let's not reduce spending enough to justify the extra borrowing, and you know we'll, we'll figure it out a couple years down the road. Well, at some point in time, you, you, you've got to pay the piper, but politicians have not been willing to do that so far senator johnson says he's going to be voting no against it but against the bill but i think they have enough votes to pass it all right we're back with much more in just a minute please don't go anywhere this is jeff wagner jeff wagner on wtmj we're back so glad to have you with us cream puff palooza is back as well. Well, if you've been around for the last few years, you know what that is. Here's the deal. Next Wednesday, July 31st, which is the day before the Wisconsin State Fair, starting at 6.20 in the morning, 
we, that's kind of the royal we because it's going to be me, will be handing out three packs of cream puffs to the first 620 vehicles in line. We do this outside one of the main gates of the State Fair. This is the one in front of the Pettit Ice Center that runs parallel to I-94 there. And um, it's just it's always been amazing. I mean, people, people, and there's some regulars, people start lining up like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and we've got the State Fair police and the West Dallas police, and they do a great job of helping us out. It's, it's always amazing to me. I'll pull in at about 5.30 or something, and by that time, we oftentimes have several hundred cars that are lined up. And it, it just it's a fun experience. I like walking around, talking to people, asking them what time they got there and things like that. But this year, 623 packs of cream puffs to the first 620 vehicles in line. Some people say, isn't it the first 620 people? You know, so if you show up with four people in your cart, no, it's three cream puffs, you know, per vehicle. So um, it's uh, Cream Puff Palooza. It's the day before the Wisconsin State Fair, which means it is next Wednesday. You know, I, I understand why people in the media hate, hate the thing about fake news. And, you know, it, it's I, I get it. They, you know, they think, hey, we're journalists. We're serious about this. You know, how, how dare you say that it's fake news? And and I understand that to an extent. But my advice to some of my, my friends who work in, in the media in that capacity is if you don't want to get accused of promulgating fake news, well, then you shouldn't promulgate fake news. And, and there's been a story that's been percolating all week, and I, I'm sure other talk shows have devoted 30 minutes to this and all, and I don't think it's, it's worth that. But it's one of these things that really – it, it, it makes you understand why there, there's different levels of coverage and why some people get upset with the concept of fake news. Now, let's start with a basic premise. New York Times, Washington Post, they're anti-Donald Trump, and that helps them sell papers. New York Times digital subscriptions are up because they are reliably, they are the anti-Trump paper of record, and the people who don't like Trump, they buy the newspapers. So there's an economic benefit to it, which is why, you know, you never, ever, ever see positive stories about President Trump in, in the paper. You, you, just, you just don't. And it's not a journalistic decision, in my opinion. It's an economic decision. Well, here's another one of those stories. Earlier this week, President Trump appeared at this uh, group. It's called the um, Team Action Summit, Turning Point USA. Okay, so it's, a, it's, it's like the seminar. It's conservatives and all. While he's giving his presentation... There's in the background, there's a projected image. And for a limited period of time, they put up what looks like the presidential seal, but it's not the presidential seal. Instead, it's something that was, you know, created by some anti-Trump guy. And instead of uh, and it's, it's got golf clubs, it's got like Russian sickles. You know, it, it's this anti-Trump thing, which is made to look like it's the presidential seal. So somebody, some anti-Trump person working the AV or whatever, puts this up and it's up for a few seconds and then they take it down, etc. All right. This has been the subject of countless stories. Washington Post, the New York Times. I have a stack of these stories in front of me. The Washington Post, they, they are they are bragging. We were the first ones to report this. You know, okay, yeah, big deal. It's not like, you know, you're, you're breaking any sort of big news story. And then, of course, there's the follow-up. I've got the story in the Post today. Meet the man who created the fake presidential seal, a former Republican fed up with Trump. 
uh, New York Times story. How Trump ended up in front of a presidential seal, doctored to include a Russian symbol, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, okay, this happened. It was a few seconds. It was some crank some anti-Trump guy that put this up there. And and it's like a day after day after day story to which you want to say, explain to me really the newsworthiness of this other than the fact that you hate President Trump. And so what you're trying to do is figure out anything you can possibly do to try to embarrass him, even though he had nothing to do with it. It's, it's not like he put up the seal. He's given this speech. Somebody puts the projection in the background. But we hate Trump, so this is what we're going to do. This to my friends in the media, is what you call fake news. And if you wonder why so many people out there just distrust you or dislike you or don't believe the things you say, it's because you obsess on stuff like this. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure that in in an Obama administration this would have been a story. It probably wouldn't have been. I guarantee you it wouldn't have been a three- or four-day story. But because it's Trump, it, it is. So for people who, again, don't like fake news, my best advice is, all right, maybe the media should stop reporting fake news and everybody could get on with their lives. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Big weekend series, Brewers and the Cubs, Brewers underperforming but still only two games behind the the Chicago Cubs uh, they're in third place the Cardinals are up there as well so this is a big game I will make a prediction that after after this weekend the Brewers go on the road for a nine game I think nine game road trip uh, I I predict that the team is going to look different when it comes back from the nine game trip than it looks now now I, I as I have argued before, I'm a huge fan. Look, I, I have 20 pack of season tickets. I go to a whole bunch of games. I I'm I just don't think they have the horses this year, particularly the pitching, to compete for the World Series. That's why I've been one of these guys arguing that you know, they should be sellers at the break and start looking towards next year and figuring, okay, can we take some of these players that might be on expiring contracts that aren't coming back? Can we get something for them in exchange for some good, solid young arms that are going to maybe let us compete for the World Series next year? That's been my argument. Now, I understand Brewers Nation is split because other people will say, well, Jeff, you know, how can you say that? You know, they're, they're in the run for the wild card. They're in the run for the division. You know, you, you can't, you got to strike while the iron is hot. And I appreciate that argument as well. And nobody would be happier than me if the Brewers were to go off on a run and win 17 out of the next 20 games. I'm just, trying to be objective and that the pitching is a dumpster fire and you've got you know Woodruff your best pitcher who's now injured and is going to be out till six or eight weeks or six weeks I guess and you know Chasheen has been underperforming I'm not sure he's going to be back pitching this year I don't know where the new starting pitcher is going to come come from the the bullpen's been struggling regardless but whether or not they're buyers or sellers I think the team is going to look you know I think it's going to look different. I think that they're going to end up making some moves. One of the interesting things will be what happens. Rusty was just confirming that the Brewers have bought have brought back Travis Shaw, um, and I, I like Travis Shaw, by the way. But he he's been awful this year. Sent him down to the minors to try to get his stroke hitting stroke back, and apparently they think he has. So they're bringing him back. That's great. But here's here's the problem. Shaw plays third base which is where Mike Moustakis plays, 
and he plays first base, which is where um, Eric Thames and Jesus Aguiar play. And so, and he doesn't play anything else. That that's that's it. He doesn't play outfield. He doesn't play, you know, shortstop. I guess you could in a pinch. Last year they stuck him. At, they put him at second base. But you've got Keston Hira. The, this the, 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 they're not they're not going to bench Keston Hira. He's the second best, if not next to Christian Yelich. He's the second best hitter on the team right now. So he's locked in at second. So you kind of wonder what's going on. I um I think there's something going on. I think there's there's some moves that they're planning. I, I wonder if they're trying to trade Eric Thames or I was what you got a theory on that, Grill? I saw some articles that some teams are inquiring about about, things, about, hey, yeah. uh, about Aguilar, right? Um, and I mean, you were talking about Grandal too, so maybe you know, maybe they're trying to showcase him for the five days that they can. Yeah, could uh, be. But but I mean, the, the thing I'll, I'll say this: Travis Shaw is terrible against lefties. And we're playing the Cubs, and two of those starters are going to be lefties. Lefties, right. Well, and, and you'd have to use him in some sort of platoon. You're, you're not going to bench Mike Moustakis. Now, theoretically, and I would hate to see this happen because I'm a huge fan of Mike Moustakis, but you know, he's on a one-year contract. You know, he's. Um, I would love to see them figure out a way to re-sign him long-term. But if you decide you're a seller, you could get – I mean, he would contribute a lot. He's somebody who would be extremely valuable. I'd hate to see him trade him, but you could trade him because, again, he's, he's on a one-year contract, and Shaw could play third base. If Thames is injured or goes on the injured list or you trade him, Shaw could play first base. Grandal, the, the catcher who's you know hits well, kind of a below-average catcher, but hits well, he's on a one-year contract. I would guess they're not bringing him back. So you, if you decide you're a seller, you could probably get something out of that. Obviously, they're going to have some moves, and they're going to have to find pitching from somewhere. That that's I don't know who the starting pitchers are. You know, you've got two of them that are now hurt, and um, you know, Gio Gonzalez, who's just back from being injured, and uh, and then uh, Davies and uh, the Chase Anderson, and that's it. That, that's it. I don't know where, and you can't get by with three starting pitcher, pitchers. So I, I think the Brewers are going to have to make some moves, whether they're buyers or sellers. You know, who, who knows? And candidly, um, I think what happens this weekend could tell that if they go and they're able to sweep the Cubs. Uh, that's one dynamic. If they lose three to the Cubs, maybe that makes the decision clearer. But I do think it's going to be a fundamentally different team when they come back. And that's what makes baseball fun, just all the different types of speculation. All right, when we come back, big news out of the city of Milwaukee and the local newspaper, the Journal Sentinel. After almost 100 years, they're selling the building. They're moving. We're going to talk about that, what it means for the future of the local newspaper. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so Brew, just got this text. We're talking about the Brewers. text says, I understand there is talk of using Keston Hira, who is the the guy that they brought on second base who's arguably already one of the best hitters in baseball. There is talk of using Hira in a trade for a pitcher. What do you think of that? I would think that'd be a terrible idea. Well, I, I right. I, hopefully, that only talk is coming from a guy named Barney sitting at the end of a bar after he's pounded back like a dozen uh, lakefront, uh, you know, IPAs. Hopefully, uh, yeah. that would be. Now, I've been I have been critical of David Stearns. I mean, this is the guy that brought us Jonathan Scope and things like that, and I, I I've been critical of him. But hopefully, nobody would be crazy enough to take. A guy who, a young player that you control for years, 
who is on the verge to again becoming, you know, one of potentially one of the best hitters in baseball to to trade him. That would be that would be baseball malpractice. So there there might be talk, but like I say, hopefully that's the guy at the end of the bar who's had way too much to drink who's suggesting that. Um I, I don't know that there's too many players that I think would be untouchable on the Brewers, but Kristen Yelich, Keston Hira they, they, to the extent that there's anybody that's untouchable, those would be the two that, in my opinion, would be absolutely untouchable. Everybody else, maybe you have to listen at least. Okay, the other, the interesting local story, and and again, it, it shows how things change. Earlier this week, the Journal Sentinel announced that they were they were selling, they're selling all their buildings. the The Journal Sentinel, if you're familiar with the, the area downtown. They they own buildings across the street from what do they call it now the UW Panther Arena the old Milwaukee the old Milwaukee Arena they, they essentially that company owns that that whole block and it includes the Journal Sentinel building on State which is a six story building which interestingly enough apparently according to their own reports it's only twenty five percent occupied. I can remember not that long ago going down there and you'd go in there for meetings or whatever and the place was bustling and it was full and you had all this activity. It's, it's three quarters empty, that building. Then you've got the, the Milwaukee Sentinel building, the old Milwaukee Sentinel building that's attached. That's a four story building that is completely and totally empty. Then you've got a parking lot and then you've got Major Goolsby's bar, which I think everybody can relate to. I told you this yesterday, Grew. I go back so long. Major Goolsby's has been there so long that when I turned 18, when I turned 18 and the drinking age at the time was 18, I had my first legal beer at Major Goolsby's on the afternoon of my birthday. We we went to school, then a bunch of us, we drove down there, and I had my first legal beer. I really enjoy Major Goolsby's because if you're a sports fan of anything, of any kind, and there's an event happening... And you go to Major Goolsby's, the place is going to be filled with that fan base. Yeah. Whatever is happening, I'll go to a WWE event. Everybody is in WWE shirts. Everybody's ready to jump from the top of the chairs and elbow drop, whatever. It's it's a really cool place. Well, there you have it. And, and of all the different examples, you could have said Badgers games or Packers games or Marquette games or Buck games, Buck games. You chose the World Wrestling. Okay, you're, we're, okay. That was my right. first experience. Oh, okay, no, God. Well, actually, I mean, the Goolsbees, if, if we're just kind of walking down memory lane, it originally, the first part of the building, that whole back part, by that I mean the part to the east, that's all new. I mean, the original Goolsbees was just a much smaller thing. You know, you'd walk in off of the the corner there, and it was just the first part, and then they ended up adding on to it. But, I mean, Goolsby's goes back forever. Like I say, my first legal beer back in whenever that was, which was a long time ago. Note, again, I didn't say my first beer, but I said my first legal beer and major Goolsby's. So I I presume that that's going to be gone. The developers are coming in, and they're going to – my guess is – well, my my guess is Goolsby's will go – there's a historic – you know, preservation ordinance. So what they're going to do is they're going to look to try to find some sort of mixed-use thing or anything. But, of course, the big story is that the Journal Sentinel, which was, you know, it used to be the Journal and the Sentinel. You know, we used to have competing papers, and then there was the the merger, and, and now you've just seen, you know, people 
you know, dropping like flies and going by the wayside, what they're going to do is they're going to move out of those facilities, and by the early part of next year, they're going to move down the road to um, the Kilburn Plaza, 330 East Kilburn, and, you know, they're going to rent a couple floors, and they're, they're down to 260 people, which is almost almost mind-boggling as, as far as that goes. It's, you know, this is inevitable. It makes sense. The rumors are, and I think they're pretty well-founded rumors, that the company that bought the newspaper after they bought it from Journal Communications Company I used to work for, the company Gannett that bought the newspaper, Gannett is on the verge of being taken over by another newspaper company that's run by like hedge fund investors and things like that. Um, it, it's it's not good news for local journalism. I mean, there's there's just no ways to, to sugarcoat it because the, the print industry, and this has nothing to do with politics, um, you know, maybe part of the decline was hastened by politics. But, you know, as we've talked about in this sh- on this show on multiple occasions in the past, the way people get their news has changed dramatically. And if you're under the age and right now, I think probably a 40, you know, you don't get the newspaper delivered. You, you just you just don't. You know, do you get the information? Yeah, but you go online, you get information, you know, when you want it. And and that's fine. And I think there's always going to be a demand for this. The problem that newspapers have is figuring out how to monetize this, because it used to be that they'd get their revenue from sales of the newspaper and, you know, print advertising and classifieds. Well, there's nothing to classifieds anymore. You know, people use the Internet. You go on Craigslist or or whatever. Print advertising has declined dramatically as, you know, the number of, of readers and circulation has gone down. And then, you know, you've got the subscribers. And un, and not unlike a lot of newspapers, the local newspaper is, is hemorrhaging hemorrhaging subscribers and readers, not of the online edition, but of the print thing. And and so, you know, struggling, they're down to 260 employees. And my guess is if this takeover occurs, there's going to be more rounds of buyouts, et cetera, et cetera, because typically what happens in those cases is there's more and more consolidation and you try to you try to make money by cutting, which almost never works, but it starts this whole cycle that creates an issue. So I think... Uh, this news this week about getting rid of the building and all, it's its not surprising. It's understandable. It's also, frankly, it's the, it's the end of an era because I think this, like so many institutions in Milwaukee, if you would have said, hey, you know, Journal Sentinel is going to be dumping that big building and they're going to be, you know, leasing a couple of floors in some building down the way, if you would have said something like that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, people would say, there, there's no way. Look at all this activity. Look at everything that's going on. You know, not anymore. And that is that is unfortunately the future when it comes to newspapers. And this is the perspective of somebody who, who, likes, who likes newspapers, likes to read newspapers, appreciates the value that newspapers as a general rule have. It's just they're struggling to find their place in a new world. And I don't know what that place is. We're back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Femme Rejuvenation Clinic. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. We have reached that point in the week where we put away the heavy lifting. We kind of have a little bit of fun going into the weekend. It's Pop Culture Corner 
Sometimes we talk about books, sometimes travel, sometimes restaurants, lots of times music, sometimes TV. Today we take Pop Culture Corner back to its roots, and I want to talk about movies. Not just because for the first time in a long time, there's a movie that I'm excited to see. Might actually, my wife is taking her daughter and a couple of the grandkids, and they're, all the grandkids, and they're going to Wisconsin Dells for a couple of days. So I'm on my own starting Sunday. I'm thinking... And, and and the Quentin Tarantino movie is not a movie that my wife would like to see. So I'm thinking I'm gonna, I am might go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which opened uh, last night. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about the movies and things like that. So we're going to take in Pop Culture Corner back to its roots this week with, with movies. Uh, there was a guy, an actor. His name is Rutger Hauer. Died this week at the age of 75. Maybe you know the name, maybe you, you don't. He, he played a number of villains. For example, I'm not a big horror movie fan, but in the 70s, there was this movie called The Hitcher. And if, if you've ever seen The Hitcher, it's, it's one of these movies that stays with you. Well, Rutger Hauer was the, the villain in the movie The Hitcher. It stays with you. Um, his, he is perhaps most famous for his supporting role in the movie Blade Runner. I am a huge fan of the Blade Runner, which, you know, it's interesting. It's become a cult classic, but it really didn't do well at the box office when it first came out. I mean, it had Harrison Ford in it, but, I mean, if if people were expecting Indiana Jones, Blade Runner is not Indiana Jones, and it's, you know, set in a post-apocalyptic future, and, and Harrison Ford plays this character who's, uh, at the time, in, in this future, the way the plot works is there, there's different robots that do all sorts of things to help people out. And you have this series of robots who are kind of going rogue. And he's a blade runner. That means his job is to track down these rogue robots and, and exterminate them. And Rutger Hauer plays one of those, those robots. And it's just, it's an amazing performance. It, it, won, it might be... It might be one of the most amazing character performances and amazing supporting actor roles we've seen. Matter of fact, um, Rutger Hauer is the guy that that wrote the the ending um, for his character, and it's I mean this this piece it, it's it's quoted it's, it's sci-fi it's just sci-fi gold. Um, here here's the ending of it. I've seen things good people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of a lion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. It's an amazing performance, just absolutely amazing. So I thought, in recognition of the passing of a tremendous actor who created tremendous roles, I thought we'd talk about movies this week. And and my question is, as I said, this is a guy who created two incredibly memorable characters. One was the character in Blade Runner. The other was the character in The Hitcher. I thought we'd have a little bit of fun. I want you to think about the whole generation of movies, comedies, dramas, musicals, whatever, 
What do you think is the most memorable movie character? When I say that, what's the character that comes to mind? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Could be a character from years and years ago. Maybe it's Humphrey Bogart playing, you know, Rick Blaine in Casablanca. You know, maybe it's, I was talking about Harrison Ford. Maybe it's Indiana Jones. 414-799-1620, the most memorable movie character ever. That's Pop Culture Corner this week. We're back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Femme Rejuvenation Clinic. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. All right, our topic today, most memorable movie character Let's start with Russell in Brookfield. Hi, Russell. Hi. Uh, great show. Thank you. Uh, to me, it's got to be Marlon Brando, Godfather. Hey, Godfather. You know, um, the, the studios didn't want to hire him for that. They, they thought that he was um, washed up and too much trouble and all that, and he really revived his career with uh, by playing Vito Corleone. He did. You know, I saw him in another movie, totally unrelated. It was where he played the sheriff in a small town. And at one point, he was grilling somebody as the sheriff, and he used that same where upward sweep of his feet, of his <laughs> nails up against his cheek. And it was the exact same thing as in The Godfather when he was inquiring of somebody or asking somebody a special favor or whatever. Yeah, no, if they, I mean, I think so. I, I certainly wouldn't argue. I mean, that, that is an indelible movie character, and Marlon Brando inhabited that part. Yeah, he, his career was really kind of in the dumps um i mean you know he'd been such a hot star in the 50s and the early 60s 414-799-1620 jeff and west ben jeff what do you think uh, i definitely think it has to be forrest gump tom hanks yeah yep. yep that that's a movie that everybody knows all the lines from you know it's just it, almost not, a week doesn't go by that i don't hear somebody quoting you know some forrest gump line to me run forrest run or whatever <laughs> yep yeah i think just that character was so unbelievable his life you know that you know i don't think anybody could ever duplicate the life that you know he portrayed in that story but it was just so entertaining and so fun to watch no it, it was a good you're right i mean it, it's clearly a great character i um i like that movie a lot i think it's incredibly creative i i have to admit i kind of like everything anything that uh that he is in i think tom hanks is a great performer he's going to be um He's playing Mr. Rogers. That's coming out this fall sometime. I think he's uh, he's doing the Mr. Rogers thing. Mike and Franklin. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, just memorable was Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. You know, it's interesting. I was watching all the calls, like our jam phone lines, and, and you're the only person that, that said Hannibal Lecter. And, and when I thought of this, that was the one, the Anthony Perkins role. That was what just immediately popped into my mind. Yeah, it's kind of chilling, and it's very memorable. And I didn't even think the movie was – it was a good movie, but I don't know that I'd watch it too many times again. It just – but his character is awesome. Well, I tell you something else about that movie. If you watch it again, he's only in like five, six scenes. I mean, in that, that entire movie, it, it's if you count – you know, I mean, when you think of Silence of the Lambs, you, you think of him. He, he's only in a handful of scenes. It, it's yeah. just it's – am- it's amazing that somebody could – dominate the movie and then dominate pop culture like that no thanks to call i mean it's i mean just count them up i i i was going to say five scenes i i could stand to be corrected but it's not much more than that it's actually a very very limited role because well you know he, he's he's in prison or there's the one scene where he escapes from prison but that's that's it it's a limited role but he made such an incredible impression let's talk to david in palmyra david you're on wtmj hello Hey, how's it going, Jeff? Good. Most memorable um, movie character. Actually, I said Clint Eastwood, um, Dirty Harry. Yeah. 
I kind of have to change my mind on that. I was thinking about it since I talked to your screener. Okay. I should say Val Kilmer and uh, Tombstone as oh. uh, Doc Holliday. Yeah, okay. I um okay, I like Tombstone. I actually I liked your better first answer better. I, I Clint Eastwood's created a lot of iconic characters and I I, rem, I mean I remember when Dirty Harry came out. I I thought that like so often I think it lost a lot of input with the sequels, but the original Dirty Harry and maybe the first sequel Magnum Force that 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 was just an incredible. It was an incredible character. I think Dirty Harry was a, just a a, a great standout performance, and this is from you know Clint Eastwood just you know coming back and he'd done the spaghetti westerns and stuff and just completely reinvented and reimagined his career as well. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Mark in Chicago. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing this morning? I'm real well. Okay, the most memorable movie character. It would be Robert Shaw. As Captain Clint in Jaws, I love to go swimming with bow-legged women. Yeah, I. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, I. It's you can't get out of your mind. No, it, it it is that that's that's another one. I remember seeing I remember seeing Jaws in the theater whenever it came out, summer seventy-five or summer seventy-six. I always tell the story. Girl, I was dating at the time. After that, when that, jaw, when that shark pops out of the water, I think I still have her, her fingernail marks in my arm from how she grabbed me. Oh there. yeah. No, it, right. We wouldn't go swimming in the beach uh, oh, for a while after that. Oh, right. No, I mean, th- thanks. For, I mean, I think all the performers are great in that movie. Richard Dreyfuss, um, uh, but but also there, there's no question that Robert Shaw, who was kind of a problematic actor at that point in time, but you know he was just absolutely tremendous. No question about that. Great character. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Most memorable character. Hey, Jeff. Jason Bourne. Um, uh-huh. And I think because he can do no wrong in terms of he's like Superman. He's almost like a super character. Mm-hmm. The guy just never screws up. And uh, he, as they say in the movie, you know, these guys don't do uh, they don't do uh, mistakes. It's yeah. All no. It, and thanks. No. It, you know, Jason Bourne. Great character. No question about it. I, I read eh, a little bit of Robert Ludlum. The author goes a long way with me, but I read the first couple books. I'm not sure how many sequels that he has been in. All right, here's one that I kind of expected. Jeff Bridges playing the dude in The Big Lebowski. Now, that's not a dramatic role, but it's it's tough to argue with. All right, here's another text. I'm kind of surprised we didn't get this. Maybe if more time we gave it. Uh, Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, there, there's no question for you know, like a certain generation of viewers that the, the Atticus Finch character, absolutely amazing. 414-799-1620. Jerry in Appleton. Jerry, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure, most memorable uh, character. Never called in for pop culture before. I'm uh, usually calling in on a heavy political conversation. Oh, well, welcome, welcome for fun. Sure, what do you think? Well, I'm going to go back a ways, kind of like the Attica Finch thing. Uh, I'm going to go back uh, Charlton Heston in The Ten Commandments <laughs> and also in uh, Ben-Hur. Uh, very powerful roles and very great movies. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I... I, I don't want there to be lightning coming down, but I actually, I, I thought he was probably better in Ben-Hur than in the Ten Commandments, but I guess I've seen Ben-Hur more than I've seen the Ten Commandments. That but, was powerful. That was a great movie. Oh, that, I, the Ten Commandments, that was a, that was a tough role to play. And, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, but I mean, thanks. I mean, Charlton Heston just, 
a great actor and very versatile. I mean, he was he was in the first Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes movie as well. The most memorable character, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tony in Bayview. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi. How about Ray Liotta from The Goodfellas? Henry Hill. Yeah, he played... Henry who, Hill. Who was, I mean, it was, that role was based on, you know, the real Henry Hill, who was a loser on all sorts of levels. But, yeah... I, I thought Ray Liotta was great in that part. Just great so, in that so, part. So, so Pesci. Oh yeah, I, right. You know, and and you know, I, I'm not sure that they've done. I, I certainly Ray Liotta. I'm not sure that he's done anything that came close to that moving forward. But that that's a great performance. It's a timeless one. Goodfellas is one of those movies. Whenever it's on TV, I watch it. I don't care how many oh, times yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. No. It, no thanks for going. That that's obviously a great one. All right, Eric in North Prairie. Eric, good afternoon. Yeah, hi. How you hi. doing? Uh, I would like to say Harry Doyle in Major League for uh, the 30th uh, anniversary of it, and uh, it's like I hear him every night. You know, <laughs> just a little bit outside. You, you know, we're, we, <laughs> just a little bit outside, Eric. I, you know, I had to. I had to. <laughs> We had to end on that. That's, of course, you know, our very own Bob Euchre. Um, matter of fact, John McCure did an interview with him the other day, and I think it's up on our, our website. You can hear it, and he's talking about the filming of Major League, and it actually happened over a couple days and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's Milwaukee. I, I don't know. You know, Harry Doyle, uh, you know, Ben-Hur or Moses. I, I don't know. You can draw the own comparisons, but it's certainly a great role. Wish we had a little bit more time. Let's see. Some of the ones, Rocky, Scarlett O'Hara, and um, Rhett Butler, no question, just absolutely great. Sean Penn, Spicoli, Fast Times in Ridgemont High, all great choices. I'm out of time. We're going to come back. We're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds. They're actually at Miller Park in the Big Talking Box. So check it out. We'll talk to them in just a moment. Please stick around. Thanks for participating in Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Femme Rejuvenation Clinic. Tune in next week as Jeff Wagner explores another pop culture topic.